This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about a word, horizontal. Now, if you think you know what I'm going to talk about, don't say it, but just raise your hand. I might pick on you. I see three and a half, okay, four and a half, five hands, okay. Well, I want to talk to you about horizontal. You're thinking, oh, we get to go back to sleep, you know? <laughs> no, I'm not talking about that. But uh, let me just read you a passage here out of the book of Matthew, chapter 22. And it says, verse 34, it says, Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced or muzzled the Sadducees, talking about he, Jesus, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all. Now, what percentage is all? 100%. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. 100% of your heart, you love him. And with all. Now, what percentage is that all? 100%. And with all your soul and with, there it is again, all. What percentage is that? 100% your mind. And in the book of Mark, it includes, it says, and with all your strength. To love the Lord, and what percentage would that all be? 100%. So we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. 100% of, of our being to love him with all that we are. And then he goes on to say, and this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I'd like to show you something. Someone, a dear friend of mine, made this for me back in uh, 2017. We recognize that as a, a cross. And every time I see a cross, I can't help myself, but I just think about the great command. And when he says we're to love him, you know, he's pointing us upward. We're to love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. We're to love God. And that's vertical. And then he says, the second command is like it. And that we are to do what? Love our neighbor as ourself. And that's going horizontal. Loving God with our all is going vertical. But loving uh, God, uh, our neighbor as ourself, that's going horizontal. And... Uh, that's what a, a cross really means to me. Whoops, my microphone is popping off of me here. How about that? Okay. And it says here in verse 38, this is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. That's going horizontal. That's reaching out. 
You see, when Christ was put on the cross, he was reaching out, left and right. He was reaching out. He was going horizontal. He says, you shall love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. And this is in the Amplified Bible. It says, that is unselfishly seek the best or the higher good for others. That's going horizontal. We're, we're seeking the best. And, you know, as it says right here in the Amplified Bible, the best or the higher good for others. That's what we're doing. That's God's great commandment. To love him vertical and to love our neighbors horizontal. The book of Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For you have been called, you have been called by God, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Hmm. What do folks want freedom for? They pretty much want freedom to do whatever they jolly well please. They would like to have freedom to drive 120 miles an hour down the road if they wanted to. They would like to have the freedom to do whatever they want without any consequences to it. There's a lot of folks think that way, you know. But he says here, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, which a lot of people, that's why they want freedom, to satisfy their sinful nature. But he says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. To serve one another not out of duty, but to serve one another out of love. To love your neighbor as you love yourself is what he's talking about. Now, can you imagine this for a moment? Think about this. That if we did not have elbows, what would we look like if we didn't have no elbows? <laughs> you know? If we had no elbows... I need a volunteer, Mike. <laughs> Come on. Well, I'll do the right thing. I need you actually all the way up here, if you don't mind. Okay. So now, what would you look like if you didn't have no elbows? Okay. So if, right now, we don't have no elbows, okay, for just a wee bit, all right? Now, let's see here what I have in my bag. <laughs> Let me see. Ah. So, why don't you grab hold of that bottle of water? Yeah, and you can, you got a shoulder, but you just don't have no elbows. Okay, you got it? Okay, okay. But you don't have no elbows, okay? So, if you wanted a sip of water, what would you do? No elbows. Now, you can actually use two hands. You got shoulders, but you don't have no elbows. Oh, man. I don't want no water. <laughs> Do you want some water? Just a tiny sip of water, you know? Okay. I, I see your elbow. Come on now. You know, so what's going to happen, and we're not going to do that to him, but if he was to drink the water, probably he'd have to go up here and catch it. But he couldn't do it with his mask on. Now, so you don't have to drink no water because you'd probably get a shower right now. So you don't have to do that. So put the lid back on it. 
All right. Okay, I'll sit right here. In case you want to take it with you in a minute or two. <laughs> All right. Ah, oh, but you're hungry. This is awesome. That's jello. So what would you do? Okay, there we go. So even without elbows, you can open the jello, right? You have no elbows now. Oh, wait. First, you got to take a little piece of, you got to take your mask down. What? Oh, wait. <laughs> Come on, you have no elbows. So how are you going to do that? That's pretty good. Try. <laughs> are you eating your mask? <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I don't have no elbows either, but I'll just help just a teeny tiny bit. Okay. You know what? <laughs> That's the way my dog does it, you know? So, if I can uh, hold your spoon. Can you give me the end of your spoon? So, you got your jello there. Give him a hand. That works better, right? So, if we didn't have no elbows, we'd be sickly, we'd be weak, but we'd be a lot stronger and can do all kinds of things if we work together, wouldn't we? Absolutely. You got, you know, your, your wife would feed you your jello, she'd hold your bottle of water for you. What's going to happen when your ear starts itching if you didn't have elbows? Oh, you do kind of like my dog does, scratching on the tree or something, you know? But, uh, so, would you give this gentleman a fantastic applause for us? No, that's yours. Okay. Oh, you got elbows again. You got elbows. Okay. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Oh, okay. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. So, think about this. Oh, for I was almost going to leave that on the whole service. It's hard to breathe there. That's why we have this, so I can share these things in the scripture with you. But so if we need each other. We need to love one another because we really do serve each other. We really do help each other because we can't just do it all on our own. We really can. But let me read this uh, again here. It says, for you have been called to live in God's freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in Love. Verse 14 says, all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud. Now, proud people have eye problems that glasses won't fix. It's just like, I, 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 I. And see, if it's all about I, well, you probably wouldn't help somebody else. And then they might not help you, you know. We need to really do what the two great commandments. If you'll keep those commandments, God be happy with you. To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You know that's going vertical. Then go horizontal and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Take care of your neighbor the same way you take care of yourself. That's what he's telling us to do. It says here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, All of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes 
the proud. Those are five problems. But he favors the humble. So verse 6 says, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And that's talking about if we humble ourselves, then we're going to serve one another. We're going to think about other people. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. When you love your neighbor, you humble yourself to live the way Christ wants you, and you, you love your neighbor as yourself, he said at the right time, he's going to lift you up in honor. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, don't be a shellfish. Uh, I'm sorry. Maybe I wrote that down wrong. What does that say? Don't be selfish. Kind of like a self shellfish, all clammed up all about me, you know, closed myself in. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Some people get this backward. They go treating themselves, well, I'm just a worm. I'm just, I'm just so lowly. I'm the scum of the earth. No, it didn't say put yourself down. It said put others up. There's a difference between those two positions, you see. And he says, uh, verse 4, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude. That's the same outlook, the same way of uh, thinking. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't think it, well, that was a real big to do. He wasn't all puffed up about being, having this equality with God. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Well, how did he do all the miraculous things? When Jesus came to this earth, he had given up his divine privileges. All that heavenly privilege, all the power that he had by be, being united with his father, the, the, the miraculous power, he, he gave it up. He laid it aside. So how did, how, well, something some people probably don't know. Jesus never worked a miracle until he was 30 years old. Never worked a miracle. And then when he was baptized in water, and then if you remember, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him and drove him out into the wilderness. And there he overcame all kinds of temptations. And then he began to work miracles. Every miracle you read about in the Bible happened from the age he was 30 to 33. That was it. Oh, he's been working wonderful miracles since. But how did he do that? It's because of the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid aside all of his divine privileges so he could show us. And if you'll read your Bible, he says, you go and do the same thing that I did. And greater works, he said, you would do than he did. So by the power of the same Holy Spirit that he totally yielded to, he demonstrated how you and I could be most effective in this old world in which we live and miraculous power would flow to and through you. He did that not because he was God's son. He had all these wonderful privileges, but he laid it aside and then he received the Holy Spirit, same Holy Spirit that we can receive. And then he demonstrated this is how he wanted you and me to live. And he said that. He said greater works you would do than he even did. And probably referring to his 
by the numbers of people whose lives we will impact. You know, and it says, and he took a humble position of a slave. Jesus did, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when he went horizontal, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he could make a difference in people's lives. Men, women, boys, and girls. And that's every believer who believes, you know. Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, it says, the greatest, and this is Jesus talking, he says, the greatest among you must be what? A servant. That's, that's not the way we normally would think of that, you know. But the greatest among you must be a servant. So we need to learn to go horizontal, you know. And, and uh, I was reading this article about Special Olympics. It's where the handicapped children, you know, compete with tremendous dedication and enthusiasm. One event was a 220-yard dash. Contestants lined up at the starting line, and at the signal, they started running as fast as they could. One boy by the name of Andrew, he quickly took the lead and was soon about 50 yards ahead of everybody else. That's a half of a football field. He was that much far further than anybody else in this race. And as he approached the final turn, he looked back, you know, just glancing back, and he saw that his best friend had fallen and hurt himself on the track. Andrew stopped, and he looked at the finish line, and then he looked back at his friend. People were hollering, run, Andrew, run, run, Andrew. But he didn't. He went back, and he got his friend and helped him up and brushed off the dirt, and hand in hand, they crossed the finish line dead last. But as they did, the people cheered and applauded because there are some things more important than finishing first. And that's when you go horizontal. See, if, if it's all about me, well, I got to finish first. But if you go horizontal, you go and you check on your friend. You make sure they're okay. Wonder how his friend felt when he came back and helped him get up and brushed the dirt off of him. And they went back hand in hand and crossed the finish line. He didn't feel quite so embarrassed or quite so hurt anymore because his friend cared about him. Loved his neighbor as he'd love himself. He did for him what he thought, well, if I had fallen down in a race like this, I'd want somebody to come back and help me. And that's what Andrew did for his friends. You know, a lot of people don't know about the most important thing. A lot of people don't know. And so we go into God's word and we have to demonstrate that. Well, listen to what it says here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. I think those days are upon us. Have we had any difficulties? I think we have had some pretty serious difficulties, you know. And he says, for in these last days, people will love only themselves. They're not going horizontal at all. They're not even going vertical. 
But people will love themselves and their, their money in the last days. Hmm. Let me see here. Where did I have that at? Oh, there it is. It's hiding. Circled around all my stuff in my bag here. What's that say? Money. And to a lot of people, you know what money is? What's the dead center of money? To a lot of people, money is number one, although it keeps telling us, it's in God you trust. It's in God you trust. And when people think about money in the last days, it's number one to them. And when you try to mess with it, well, you look at the very first letter and the last letter. What does it spell? That's my money. Mine? My, my money. No, me and Susan just figured this out last night or yesterday. I was, I was like, wow, look at those words right there in money. We just need to remember whose it is, you know. But the Bible says, for people will love only themselves and their money, and they will be boastful and proud. The Bible says God resists the proud. Scoffing at God, that means to mock him scoffing at God, to ridicule him, to laugh at him, to make fun of God. We see that in this day and time. I don't really watch too much television, but if I'm ever in a situation where I do, there's a lot of people who make fun of God. There's a lot of comedians who make their bread and butter by insulting God and mocking God and belittling God. That's what happens in the last days. And he goes on to say, in the last days, there'll be those who are disobedient to their parents. That's the very first commandment that has a promise. It says, honor your father and your mother. That your life will be long. There's a promise. And so things will go well with you. So if you dishonor your parents and things aren't going so well with you, well, you can know why. And see, you go, well, my, my mom and my dad may be already gone to be with the Lord. Don't. That doesn't change the promise. You know, my dad's been with the Lord for over 20 years, and I try by my lifestyle and the way I treat people and all, I try to honor my dad. Where people who would know him say, well, you really honor your dad by your lifestyle. So we can honor even if they've gone on ahead of us. But it says in the last days, there'll be, in these last days, people who are pretty much, you know, self-centered, they'll be disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful, very, very selfish, very shellfish, you know. And they will consider nothing sacred. Have, have you seen in this day and time where people consider nothing sacred anymore? God, God had, it was marriage is sacred because the man represents Christ and the wife represents the church and the relationship of working together. And it's just a wonderful thing. But there are so many in this day and time who they consider nothing sacred. Marriage ain't sacred. Men can marry men. Women can marry women, you know. And they don't consider the most innocent thing in this whole planet sacred. You know, little innocent babies. They're in their womb just a little bit before they're born. And they 
our leaders of our nation, leaders of our land. I'm talking about some of the, the greatest leaders of our land, you know, and, and, and lawyers and even judges and all have legalized the destroying of the most innocent of our world. It's babies who've not quite been born, who are very sacred to God. And he says in the last days, they will consider the, the selfish people. They will consider nothing sacred. And they'll do their best to destroy the confidence of our children. You don't know if you're a man or a woman, you know. Well, God created you as a man or as a woman, you know. And, but, but our world, who has no concept of God, tries to bring confusion. And we know where confusion comes from. It don't come from God. To try to bring confusion. Is that going horizontal? Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? I don't think so. It's very destructive, to be honest with you. Very destructive. Anyhow, where was I at? Picking up in verse 3, they'll be unloving. This is the people in the last days. And unforgiving. They will slander, criticize others, and have no self-control. Well, if it feels good, you just do it. Don't matter who it hurts. It don't matter. And they will be cruel, and they'll hate what is, what's that say? Now, my Bible tells me that God is good. He's really the only one. But when we partake of his divine nature, his goodness is shared in, with us. But it says they will hate. <sighs> they will be cruel, and they'll hate what is good, which is a major part of hating God. They will betray their friends. <laughs> They'll betray everybody else, but once they don't have any enemies, they've already put them down, then they'll start betraying each other. They'll betray their friends and be reckless. They'll be out of control. They'll they'll be wild and irresponsible. They will act religious. They'll act spiritual. They'll act holy, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And the Bible says, stay away from people like that. They're Christian in name only. Not in heart. They're not Christian in heart, and they're not a Christian in action. Going horizontal, what we're talking about. So he says this in 2 Timothy. He says, in the last days, there will be difficult times, and then he brings all these things out. And I think it pretty good describes where we're living today. Genuinely does. Matthew chapter 24, verse 12 says, sin will be rampant, widespread, out of control. Sin will be rampant where? Everywhere, And the love of many will do what? Grow cold. That means lifeless. When you lose your life, you grow cold. And he says the love of many will grow cold. Don't become like the little girl who had spent the whole day fighting with her sister. That evening, they prepared for bed, still mad at each other. As usual, they knelt beside their beds for their prayers. Dear God, the eight-year-old girl said, Bless Daddy, and bless Mommy, and bless our cat and our dog. And then she stopped. Her mother gently prodded her. Didn't you forget somebody? She glared across the bed at her six-year-old sister and added, And oh, yes, God. Bless my ex-sister, you know. Is that the way we love each other? Is that going horizontal, you know? By exing her even in a prayer. 
First Peter chapter one, verse 22 says, you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. We were cleansed. We followed the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, we were cleansed of our sins when we obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love. We must show sincere, that's the real deal, sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all. Now, what percentage is all? 100%. Love each other deeply with 100% of your heart. And the word deeply means powerfully, supreme effort, intensely with every muscle strain. You say, love each other deeply or love each other powerfully. Love each other with this, you know, supreme effort. Love each other intensely. Love each other with every muscle strain. Love one another. Go horizontal. Deeply is what he's talking about right here. And this is a the kind of love that only comes to those who have experienced a transformation, a change. Now you're loving in the supernatural way. In your own human, you know, sinful nature, you can't really love that way. But when Christ has changed us, we can go horizontal and we can love our neighbor as we want our neighbor to love us. <clears throat> Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. When you hate somebody, your life, you're carrying a burden. Have very little joy. and You're carrying a burden and you're being weighed down. And it's just too heavy to bear. And so Martin Luther King Jr. said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great of a burden to bear. Thomas Kempis said, love feels no burden. You don't feel no burden when you love. Love feels no burden. Thinks nothing of trouble. Attempts what is above its strength. Thinks all things possible. Is able to undertake all things. Where he who does not love would faint and lie down. Give up. Paul Dzika, he was a minister. He said, my first assignment 35 years ago was to an inner city community in Washington, D.C. Money was stolen from my room. The garage mechanic said my gas tank had been sabotaged. You ever know that somebody who pours sugar in the gas tank of a car? And then it goes into the engine where it's hot and all this and it melts it and freezes up your engine, you know? Well, something like that was probably what happened. He says, the mechanic said, my gas tank was sabotaged, destroying my engine. One weekend, we had 34 windows broken in the school. That's just one weekend. When a new pastor was sent, the parish held a party, and some teenagers left the party, went out, and they started a rumble, a real fight amongst them all. The civil disturbance unit of the Metropolitan Police had to be called out. One of my pastor classmates going to the hospital to visit a sick person had his car stoned at a stop sign. A group of us in the parish realized that we either were going to have to make the church a fortress, more bars and over our windows and all that, or we're 
going to have to reach out and try to change the lives of the young people who lived around the church. So we announced a retreat weekend in the country. It was going to be free to any teenager who wanted to attend. The announcement was a stepping out in faith on our part, since we actually didn't have any money for the event. We simply trusted God would provide the means. Our hearts were touched by the generous response of people. A bus company donated the transportation. A pastor classmate donated some funds. And another group of people gave us food, etc., so forth. The retreat team, meanwhile, were praying and studying together. We each wrote and revised witness talks. The big weekend came and we all found ourselves at this beautiful church camp on a wide river. We enjoyed dinner together. We had recreation, a witness talk, prayer sessions, and then bedtime. I found, I fell sound asleep. Many of the teens got up and they created chaos. They raided the kitchen and had raw hamburger fights, plural. Raw hamburger fights. They threw heads of lettuce at each other. They flooded the bathrooms and broke out screens. The boys raided the girls' cabin at 2 a.m. Next morning, the adults were devastated, and a lot of the teens were upset. We decided we'd have to call the bus back immediately and leave before the place was burned to the ground. Then one man said, let's separate the boys and the girls into their cabins and talk to them. It was the only positive suggestion. I will never forget the look of the boys when I walked into their cabin with another layman. Their faces looked like hardened steel. They had lived with violence and heard every kind of reprimand They were ready for anything. At a loss for words, I said the most intelligent thing I may ever have said. And I turned to the layman who had made the suggestion that we have these talks. And I said, go ahead, Bob. (laughs) You first. And he looked at me puzzled. But then he spoke up. You men did a lot of horrible things last night. You upset the women and the girls. You destroyed food shared with us by poor people. You destroyed property that good people trusted us with. You created a mess. But there's one thing you didn't do and one thing you can't do. And this got their attention. They wondered what that they hadn't done. They wondered what they hadn't done and what they couldn't do. He continued, no matter how badly you act, no matter how much grief you cause, you can't make me stop loving you. I care about you. And when you need me, I will be there for you. Nothing will change that. The boy's expressions changed completely. They had no defense against this unconditional love. 
They begged his stay. They promised to be good. We gave them another chance. They spent the afternoon working with the maintenance men. We had no problems with conduct. We received complete cooperation. The retreat turned out to be a very grace-filled time. All because one man knew what it was like to love others as God loves us. See, people are hungry and they're desperate for the love of God. See, love, it puts the fun in together, the sad in a part. It puts the hope in tomorrow and it, love puts joy in our heart. There was a, a, a carpenter who didn't overcharge for doing fine finish work. And once there was a physician who healed the sick for free. And once there was a man who fed people at no charge. And you know what they did to him? They crucified him. Hmm. The point I'm trying to make is there'll be times when we'll feel unappreciated and times when we feel like we've been really taken for granted. You know, you, you, you'll, you'll feel unloved, you know. But when that happens, love others anyway. You go horizontal because that's what Jesus did. And him going horizontal for me changed my life, you know. So why should we do that? Listen to what it says here in John chapter 13, verse 34. So now I am, this is Jesus talking. So now I am giving you a new commandment. We had an old commandment. It's pretty good. Love the Lord for all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty good, wasn't it? But Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other, not as you love yourself, but love each other as I have loved you. You should love each other as I have loved you. And how did Jesus love us? He died for us. And so he's challenging us to be willing to die to our own ambitions, die to our own, you know, goals and things in order to make a difference in somebody else's life through love. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. And people need to see that. You know when a parent teaches their child how to tie their shoestrings and they're showing you do this and you do this and you go around and you pull this away. Now you do what you saw me do. And that's what we are doing. We're, we're showing this world, hey, you do what I just showed you because that's the way Jesus loved us. And we can demonstrate that. We really can. Jesus went on to say in verse 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, Jesus said. When you demonstrate it, when you love. You know, people could deny and and people could debate the miracles of Jesus. That was a debatable topic, I suppose. And they could debate whether Jesus broke the Sabbath by the things he did on the Sabbath day. And they could debate and deny whether he was the reincarnate of John the Baptist, which some thought, and some thought he was Elijah or one of the other prophets that come back to life. You know, that's what they thought. But one thing is absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt, undeniable. And that was his love for people. His love. And he loved people. 
And he loved all people, and he still does. John chapter 11, verse 3, we see this here in regards to Lazarus. You remember Lazarus who died? So his two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, the one you love is very sick. Please come quick. Well, by the time Jesus got there, he died. When he got there, it says the people who were standing nearby, see how much he loved him. Lord, the one you love is very sick. Because they knew that Jesus was all about love. And they said, see, when Jesus showed up, see how much he loved him? See, love is obvious. Love is, is a demonstration. You can see that, you know. And the rich young ruler who came to Jesus wanted to know how to make sure he had eternal life. When he first came in Mark 10, 21, it says, Jesus felt genuine love for this man as he looked at him. Time after time after time throughout the Bible, you could see the love. Of God, You can see the love of Jesus by the actions he took upon others. Day by day, you know, through Jesus' actions and through his words, it was absolutely undeniable that he loved people. And that's what we are. We're a people, you know. In 1989, Mother Teresa visited Phoenix to open a home for the destitute. During that brief visit... She was interviewed by KTAR, the largest radio station in town. In a private moment, the announcer asked Mother Teresa, is there anything that we can do for you? And he was expecting her to request a contribution or some media help to raise money for the new home for the impoverished people in Phoenix. But instead, she replied to the announcer, she said, yes, there is something you can do for me. Find somebody nobody else loves and love them. Find somebody that nobody else loves and love them. That is the heartbeat of God. Find somebody who nobody else loves and love them. First John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, we know what real love is. Because there is a lot of counterfeit what real love is. But the Bible says we know what real love is. And it has nothing to do with sex. In any kind of relationship, no matter that the media is always prompting, that's love. It's not love. Uh, Husbands and wives, that's a part of their relationship. But love is so much stronger than a sexual relationship. People break up because of those things and it's just empty and it's hollow, although they have whatever they want. But he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That was love. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And that means to deny myself just my own personal gratification, but to deny myself to love and care for other people. My own ambitions can be put on the side while I demonstrate God's love for somebody else. That's what he's talking about. Real love cannot be inactive. The the Bible, if you study the word love out, love 
in the definitions of love in the Bible, love is only known by the action that it prompts. If there is no actions, really, there is no love. Real love is, in essence, what we would call spiritual fire. Real love. Real love will warm people's hearts. Real love can change things a whole lot. But there's a lot of people always trying to be destructive with love. As you can be destructive with fire, can't you? But we use fire every day. Most probably you drove here with some fire in the engine of your car. You probably stayed warm last night by some fire in your furnace. And spiritual fire can bring about fantastic, wonderful transformation. Can do a lot of good. First John Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. He is the source of all love, all genuine, true, sincere, pure love. It originates from God. He is the source of it all. It's unselfish, and therefore it is supernatural love. You ever have a a pet that growls at you, hisses at you, or bites you, especially when you get near their food. Mine, 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 mine. You know? Think about it. See, right beneath their surface is that old wild nature. That's mine. Cute little old pet that loves you and snuggles, but get away from me. That's mine, 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 mine. Think about that. Does that happen to you and me? Is that old, wild, sinful nature just right beneath the surface? Or has there been a transformation of all of who we are? Colossians chapter 3 verse 7 says, You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, when your life was still part of that old, wild nature, but now in the time, but now in the time But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And become like him. You learn to know him. And become like him. Uh, And uh, when you become like him. What do they call you? Christian. A lot of people just use it as a term. It's just like a name for something. They don't know what it is. But Christian just means Christ-like. I'm Christ-like. When you say I'm a Christian. I'm Christ-like. That's what that is actually saying. So don't let the old nature control you. Love must be learned again and again and again. There's no end to learning more and more about love. Hate needs no instructions. You don't have to learn how to hate. You just got to wait until you're provoked a little bit. And it'll just come out naturally. But it's supernatural to love like Christ loved. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. And anyone who loves, real love, sincere love, is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love, they might say, but if they don't love, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And God and his love brings about transformation. Nobody will know what you mean by you just saying to them, hey, God is love. Unless you demonstrate it. That's where you turn the other chief. And you bless those who curse you. And you pray for those that despitefully use you. That's what God's done for us, hasn't he? He's loved us even though we've been pretty selfish at times. Though we may have run from him for years. He still loved us. That's just the truth of it. A visitor to a small zoo said... That's marvelous, having a lion and a monkey living in the same cage. How do they get along? Okay, usually, answered the zookeeper. Occasionally, they have a disagreement, and we have to get a new monkey. (laughs) The old nature rises up, and the old nature is very destructive. And we don't want our old nature rising up. We want to experience the full transformation that God has for us. Well, our time's getting away, so I'd like us maybe to sing a song together, if we could. And it goes like this. <clears throat> I think, do we have the words for that? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea Heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. Love lifted me when nothing else could help. Love lifted me. Love lifted all those guys who had the hamburger fight in the cafeteria and they did their best to destroy the retreat center. Love lifted them out of the pit. Love lifts up one another. Just being mean or getting even with somebody, don't lift them up. You might just throw some more dirt and trash on top of them, but it don't lift. Jesus lifted us up out of the the pit, hasn't he? Absolutely. And the Bible tells us if Jesus would be lifted up, and he was, he would draw all men to him, and he was lifted up on the cross. And he's drawn all men unto him, and He forgives us because he loves us. And he tells us there's two commandments you got to pay attention to. And that's to go vertical and love God with all that there is in you. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And then he modified that a little bit. He said, you know what? I'm going to give you a new commandment. You love your neighbor like I loved you. And that was to the point 
of paying a high price to demonstrate your love to other people. And love, it lifts. Getting even don't lift nobody. It just pushes them, depresses them even further down. But love, it lifted me. And as we go from this building today, and wherever we find ourselves, love will lift other people up. Especially in this pandemic, when we're talking kind of about hospitality. What happens when you can't be as hospitable as you want to be because of this pandemic and social distancing and and masks and all the rules and regulations? Well, I want to challenge you that you can prayerfully consider and think about what can you do to show God's love even during a pandemic? You think it's possible? I think it is. Going through a toll booth, I've done this quite a few times. I've paid the toll for the person behind me. And I don't know who they are. And when they come up to the toll, the guy ahead of you, he just took care of it. And it just shocks them. It's just like, whoa. They expect you to take advantage of them, but they don't expect you to do something like that. You ever go through a drive-thru? Or you get something to eat. And you go, I want to pay for their meal. Well, I don't know how much is it going to be. Will that take care of That'll take care of it, sir. And they go through, they get their food, and it's like, that's already been taken care of. Somebody paid for you. Would that be love? I think so. But it don't have to cost you a penny. You might be driving down the road, and somebody cuts you off. And you just go, hey, it's fine. Other people like to wave one finger at them. And I won't demonstrate that. It shouldn't be done in church. And it might be the fact that you just stop, and you smile at someone. You're loving them. You're showing them God's love. It might be the fact that you see somebody go by and they never know about it, but you, oh, God, please bless that lady who's got that car full of kids. Bless her and help her get home safely and provide their needs. And you pray the prayer of blessing on them and they won't even know about it until one day when they get to heaven. There's all kinds of ways. If we ask God, how can we go horizontal? How can we love other people? Some of us going to be private, but some of us going to be demonstrated. It's going to be visible for others to see. And I bet you, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but I'd bet you a dollar if I was a betting man that if you prayed about it and saw God, he'd show you some ways to go horizontal and love for other people who don't deserve being loved, and neither did we, but we could love other people and that would help point them a little closer to Christ. What you think? Is that possible? I think so. Well, we'll continue on this at another time, but our time is up right now. And what I'd like to do I'd like to pray for you guys here and all you guys. Thank you so much, all you who are joining us online this morning. We appreciate that. You're our online church. And what I want to do is pray for you and give you an opportunity. If you know Christ, would you reaffirm your your faith and your love for him? And if you're not really sure you're in a right relation with him, I'm going to give you an opportunity as others are reaffirming their faith that you can be declaring your faith for the first time. So we could bow our heads, and if my wife, Susan, would come up here and join me for a moment, I just want to pray with you. And as we bow our heads, I'm going to ask you just to, to pray, and to pray out loud, whether you're here or whether you're at home. If you are okay with that, join us right now as we pray. Would you pray? 
Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me. That's why you sent your son Jesus. That's why you sent your son Jesus. And I believe he gave his life. And I believe he gave his on life. On that cross. On that cross. For me. For me. And to wash my sins away. To wash my sins away. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And is knocking at the door of my heart. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. I open wide that door. I open wide that door. Right now. Right now. And I welcome Jesus in. And I welcome Jesus in. Into every area of my life. Into every area of my life. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. I'm sorry for my sinful ways. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for forgiving me. Of all my sins. Of all my sins. And writing my name in the book of life. And writing my name in the book of life. I delight. I delight. In the pardon. In the pardon. That you said was mine. That you said was mine. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I want to go more vertical than ever before. I want to go more vertical than ever before. And help me, Almighty God. And help me, Almighty God. To go horizontal. To go horizontal. And to love others. And to love others. The same way you love me. The same way you love me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 